Sam Towns. And I'm Zach Nisbet. Before we get to today's episode, let's take a moment to thank our sponsor. This episode is frosting your gingerbread houses thanks to the festive crew at Nordic Edge, where you can get all of your blacksmithing and bladesmithing supplies of belts, tools, and superior steels as Apex Ultra, Damascus billets, and more. Don't forget to take advantage of all their Christmas deals running over the holidays, so make sure to visit their easy-to-use website, you know it, you need it, nordicedge.com.au. Yeah, so what have you been up to this week, Zach? I have just been trying to press out the last of the orders um, before Christmas, or at least, you know, around that time, um, as best mm. as I can anyway. And um, I also had uh, a couple of, uh, t- it was a two-day market, it was. Um, mm. I was going to say a couple of markets, but it was the same market. It was just two days. And that went really well. Uh, I had plenty of rail spike uh, cheese knives or aggressive cheese knives as I was throwing them out as. Mm. <laughs> um, I mean, fair, they do look very aggressive. <laughs> um, the cleaver one was the first to go, as it usually is, because they're, they're, they're mm. really fun and they look a bit different. So I'm, I think that's why. But um, yeah, it was it was a great weekend all around. I had the family up there with me as well. So it was good. So I couldn't ask for more. After that, I just finished up doing a class this afternoon, as of recording nice. this anyway, um, and booked another one for a week from now as well. I think it's like a couple of days after Christmas, I think. All this way. Yeah, well, it's like, oh, yeah, they want to do this. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Sure. <laughs> So that'll be fun. The thing I've been doing is, is apart from stupidly online shopping late at night when I'm tired and I probably shouldn't be doing it, but I do it anyway, <laughs> is just trying to design and plan out some uh, different profiles and blades and that that I want to take to Perth Knife Show happening in February next year. And yeah, just, just gathering everything together to, uh, to get started. Not Fair really enough. much else other than that. Yeah, I think, I think that's going to pervade our uh, our experiences for the next month it's just gonna be like hey oh, what are you yeah. up to prepping for knife show <laughs> well it's it's like it's like you've said before on the show like when it comes up to a blade show or something like that in in, in when there's a, a couple of months out or, or whatever if not more for some makers they mm-hmm. just disappear off the face of the planet for it they're in their shops oh, they're straight out they're just working away and you, you don't see them until maybe a couple of days or maybe a week before the show is coming out and they're promoting and they're going <laughs> like this is what we got this is what we you know all the everything just everything and it's amazing yeah. i can't wait for it so uh, we're i know we're all going to be busy at it now and especially because this will be my second year there and i now i've got a, a better picture in mind uh of mm. what to expect and now i can go into a little bit deeper water which is going to be exciting um yeah. so yeah I, i'm looking forward to that experience and seeing uh, a lot of the makers that i met last year as well so mm. uh, both interstate and local um, it's, it's going to be a really good experience. But uh, my song that I've been listening to, I, I again, like, I can't really just speak much about it. It's I heard it and it was awesome. Um, <laughs> I, I, th- I I heard about it from uh, my lovely wife, and uh, which another song of hers is, is a favorite, which is a pretty dope song too. Um, 
but it is done by an artist named Madeline or Madeline or however you might pronounce it, but it's called Dopamine. And uh, the song is funnily enough, as I learned today, is is about being on your phone and, and like getting that, that dose of dopamine when you're like scrolling mm. and you, there's nothing there that's really good for you, but you just, you want it more. <laughs> yep. Um, and it's really catchy, dopamine. really catchy. So it, it was, it was good in the forge because you know, it helps keep good rhythm. So yeah, that, that's, that's my jam. <laughs> But how about you, Sam? What's been going on? I, I managed to just catch your your latest smelt and pour in the lead <laughs> yeah. up to the show. I was, I've been I was I was sitting sitting at my computer. Um, like I've been I've been pretty sick the last few days, so I've been kind of like not being able to do a lot, and eventually just getting to the point where I'm so frustrated, I just have to do something. Oh, like and my so, wife, she's sick at the moment too. Maybe something yeah. going around. That new wave of oh, COVID I, has finally hit the shores. So yeah, <laughs> I, I jumped. <laughs> I jumped up and did a did a quick brass pour for a for a commission that I'm supposed to be working on, um, so yeah, that was that was fun. But um, oh, in well, well. other news, yeah, it went great. Like uh, I, I've had a bit of practice at pouring with those jewelry molds, and they're fantastically easy to use if you prepare them right. But if you yeah. prepare them wrong, they are the worst experience you can ever have <laughs> in casting. I bet, like. The first time I used one, I didn't realize that you have to like uh, season them like a pan and then oil them before you use them. And so basically I just poured the brass in and it brazed brazed (laughs) to like one side of the whole thing. And I had to sit there with files and shit to clean it off again. Oh, no. No. Yeah. It's a a learning curve. But uh, once you get it down, it's good. Something that you do once. Yes. Yeah. You you only (laughs) want to make that mistake once. 100%. Um, but yeah, so other than that, it's just been a matter of, uh, prepping stuff for knife show a little bit. And I, I'm, I'm finding my brain scattered at the moment because I've, mm-hmm. you know, I've got like six different priorities at once. I've got, you know, yeah. commissions I'm supposed to be finishing. I've got to make stuff to sell that I can, so I can actually pay bills. Mm-hmm. And then I've also got to prepare knife show stock and I'm like, which one do I do? And, you know, Add being sick on top of that and you're kind of ah just screaming in your head yeah. um but i did a bunch of i've done a bunch of forging experience obviously um and now i'm pretty com- confident with that so i've gone to the grinder and i've taken the grinder to a couple of old blanks that i had lying around and i decided mm-hmm. to hand sand one and i'm like oh, i'll just i'll stonewash it, it'll be fine and then i found out it was damascus and i was like crap now i've got to <laughs> sand this thing to 1200 grit <laughs> so um yeah that happened in another live stream but yeah, I'm just I'm just like trying to, to practice all of the steps that are involved in what I used to do on a mm. daily basis, just mm. to get back in the swing. And and I think that's going to be helpful in that it's going to build up stock and, you know, give me stuff to sell, but it's also going to reconstitute my experience as a bladesmith um, and, you know, get me back in the zone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am still working on like the Viking sword and stuff like that. I did take some time out to do a little bit more engraving on it. Um, yesterday yes, but viking uh, sword check-in update yeah 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 it's it's coming along slow i have to admit that every time i pick up the tools to work on it i immediately feel a wave of lethargy like i suddenly just want to go to sleep mm-hmm. because the the nightmare of fucking it up a little bit like just just one mistake and i'm back to square zero absolutely yeah. terrifies me i, I keep it, that it, confidence that you you know you have the energy out of me <laughs> uh. But yeah, I'll get there. I'll get there. 
you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, my, uh, my song of the week, uh, was going to be a throwaway, but, uh, then I remembered that I was actually a song that I wanted to put on there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how about that? Yeah. Um, it's one that I found on TikTok, uh, you know, surprise, but it wasn't the song itself. It was the artist, um, that originally kind of attracted me because he has, he's basically like the new Alan Jackson, right? Like if you can imagine Alan Jackson's country music, I'm shithouse with names. Uh, yeah, it's fine. He's, country singer. he's an, mm-hmm. yes, he's an incredible country singer and he's very like old school kind of eighties country that twang. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I really dig it. It's just really, you know, it's really niche uh, for me. Cowboy music. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the, the one that I like chose from his albums that he's got at the moment uh, is called Cold Beer and Country Music, which, you know, it's just, uh, and the, yeah, the artist is uh, Zach Top. There is another Good artist name. who's written a song called Cold Beer and Country Music. So don't pick that one. <laughs> Zach Top. Of course there is. It's country. What it's more country than cold beer. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, Zach's an amazing, uh, amazing artist. And um, you should definitely check out the other stuff that he does because he does some amazing uh, music, which I, I love because it's bringing back that really old school country sound. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I agree. Amazing I agree. Artist I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Zach is an amazing artist. Uh, love it. Anyway, love it. <laughs> <laughs> um, given that this today's episode is an emails episode, uh, would you like to give us a head start with your inspiration? Yes. Yes. Well, um, if you've actually kept up with my story, you probably already know who this is going to be. But mm. um, recently in the mail, and I've been watching the stories of these unfold um pun intended um this maker's been doing some wonderful work with some folders um and i've just really liked it because number one being honest there's no wood in it um which is a bit of a for me i'm not i'm I'm terrible working with wood it's something that i really really want to work on um because it it is a fault and i've identified it so (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so yeah and and so i avoid trying to work with wood as much as i can and it has given me a lot more of a love for the metal styled handles and and different materials there out this bloke has chosen to use a strip of wrought iron i i can't remember what he said it was from like maybe it's it's not from a um a carriage wheel because it's way too thin uh, and I'm sure he's going to message me after hearing this going, it's from this, you dickhead. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's lovely. It's, it's been folded over as the handle, um, and it's just a little friction folder with some copper rivets, and it's just lovely. He's been experimenting with some, I think, ADCRV was the first one, and now he's been doing some clad sand mires and Damascus blades and just, just upping it from there. And I was really invested in them from day one. So I was like just following them and they were lovely. And I wanted to have a go at one. And being a, uh, a patron of Alex, uh, I have access to the <laughs> folders course. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to diving into it, but I didn't have a design and got some inspiration. So now I'm coming up with a design. The maker I'm speaking of is Xavier from uh, Xavier Sontag Knives uh, on Instagram. 
he was very kind enough to send me over some pieces of that wrought iron so I can have a crack at doing my own. Um, and also in that package, he managed to send me a little piece of beechwood as well, which is <laughs> it's kind of, it'll be fun to work with wood. I'm I'm sure of it. But um, yeah, I've got no no info about it, but <laughs> it'll be it'll be fun. <laughs> Xavier is great. Um, he actually took part in uh, the Townsway build off uh, this year. Yes, uh, yes, he made did. a fantastic piece. It was one of my it was one of my top ten uh, pieces. Unfortunately, he didn't make the top like three for the the, the awards, but um, I really did like his his entry. Oh yeah, and it's, um, if you if you go through and you scroll through, you can just see like 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 any good makers, you can see just the the leaps and bounds um in 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 the work just from where it started from even like the if you just go back to the folders from the from number one to i think he's up to number three or four now i've been a little bit busy so i have lost my upkeep in the last couple of days (laughs) yeah yeah and it's just improving every single step because you i'm sure you'd be just identifying these little problems that you just keep getting better every shot so yeah very impressed they're a really interesting take on like the higonokami which is you know like when people think of the folded steel handle friction folders, that's pretty much what you go for. Okay. Um, really interesting style. Uh, I, I love Higo Nakami. So um, I didn't even I'm know there keen... was a name for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're a traditionally Japanese style friction folder that normally have a folded handle of either steel or brass uh, or copper. I've made a couple with like copper with uh, inlaid stuff. Yeah. I remember seeing your copper one with the frog inlaid, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's right. yeah, exactly the same process. Yeah. Excellent. But uh, yeah, no, like I, I'm looking forward to seeing your take on it because uh, I do love a good Higo. <laughs> I don't know what that was. The house is falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> Random bits of the ceiling falling out. You know, it's fine. Possibly. Maybe the chooks escaped. Um, oh, well, it could be. <laughs> they are ninjas um, after all. But yeah. So uh, yeah, go and check him out on Instagram, Xavier Sontag Knives. With an underscore between Xavier yes. and yeah. Sonic. Oh, got the flames for the <laughs> <laughs> all the flames. Yeah, you, know? so you can just tell from the, the the picture even if you've got the right guy. So you can see it's like flames or an anvil or hammer or just flying metal going everywhere. Yeah, you got the right guy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's usually a tell. But yes, how about yourself, Sam? Who's been inspiring you to be in the shop? So my inspiration has been used as an inspiration in the past. I can't remember who used him as inspiration, but um, recently he posted a reel um, showing some as forged integrals from a class that he'd done. And I immediately just, my my mind kind of exploded because I've forged (laughs) integrals before. And every time I see someone forge, really clean integrals it always drives me that little bit insane because i'm just i try and work out how they do it because integrals are one of those things that are near impossible to get super clean off the hammer they they unless you've got like power hammers and you know like multiple dies set up to make them the way that you want to make them they're incredibly hard to make clean and this guy makes integrals super clean he also does some really interesting handle designs. He's done like integral handle designs. It may have been you that used him as an inspiration before. Um, but his name is Joshua Prince and he goes by Prince Works Forge on Instagram. It was you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I remember us discussing like some of his work before where he his integral work specifically. 
but it was yeah. just because recently I forged an integral as part of like my practice. I saw his integral work and I immediately just kind of went, I hate this man <laughs> with, the, with the passion of a thousand sons. Um, because yeah, it, it is one of those things that is significantly trickier to do than people give it credit for. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's, he's, he's definitely worth a check out. If you didn't check him out when Zach used him as an inspiration, um, you should definitely go do it now. I really do love the Chinese cleaver he made recently. Yeah. The Mokamegane spacer Beautiful. in like a forked intent. Like, I don't even know how to exactly describe <laughs> how the handle's made. It's fully integral, but it's really unique. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like He's... you split the handle down into two top and bottom uh, with, a, with a gap in between. And, and and a bolster at the back to join the two so it's not like a, a tuning fork is a, a beautiful piece of Moku Magane. Yeah. It's yeah. it's it's kinda like Fireforge became a bladesmith. Like yeah. people who've gone to like see Fireforge's stuff who's been used as inspiration before. It's that kind of artisanal blacksmithing meets bladesmithing. Oh, yeah. I love it. It's great. Yeah. It's just incredible. But, so yeah, go check um, him yeah, out. He's super uh, clean. <laughs> Prince works forge all one word on Insta. Well, that would then bring us into our pile of emails. Um, <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> and uh, as we know, our listener emails are coming to you thanks to Knife Maker Plus, where you can get taught the pro tips of bladesmithing by one of the best in the game, ABS Mastersmith Kyle Royer, joining you right there on the screen, guiding and instructing you to turn your knife making game all the way up to eleven. You can do all that and more by visiting knifemaking.com after the show. Yes. And our first email comes from Ryan Elmer. And he says, good day, hey, gents. Hope you, hope you are both well. I'm looking to try electro etching my maker's mark on my finished work with a few leads and a D battery. Who is a good resource to get reusable stencils? I can make some out of electrical tape, but would prefer to buy some fancy made ones. And I got a few coil springs out of some track tensioners from my skid steer loader. Wow, that's a whole bunch of words I don't understand. I think they're made from 5160, but I'm not sure. I'm thinking of making a maker's mark from that. Do you guys think that that would work for making tooling? When I can justify the price, I would like to buy a laser engraver. You guys have been an invaluable resource to all of us in the blacksmithing community. We love you guys and appreciate everything you both do. I binge the Forgecast every day while I'm at work and re-listen to episodes if I see to see if I missed anything. Cheers, Ryan from Maine. Thanks, Ryan. Um, so, like, uh, to get the spring from track tensioners from your skid steer um, out of the way, yes, you can make tooling out of that. Uh, it's basically coil spring. I make coil spring tooling all the time. Will it make a touch mark? Probably not. Not a very good one. Um, but yeah, it, it, it will make it. Um, I, most of my like hot chisels and punches and stuff like that are all coil spring because it's the cheapest quote-unquote hardenable material you can get uh, <laughs> that comes in round rod. Um, as to reusable stencils, uh, now you're not in Australia, so I won't recommend Dalu to you. Uh, those of you in Australia, if you want to get reusable stencils, you can get them from Dalu from Glendagan Knives. Uh, he does like both physical touch marks and reusable stencils. The big thing about reusable stencils isn't that is that they aren't just like a a nylon 
aren't just like a, a plastic uh, with with the thing cut in it. They've also got a thin amount, uh, thin uh, mesh in them, and that's what makes them reusable. Is that the mesh holds the letters in place, uh, and then you etch through the through the mesh. Um, the ones in America that I know of are Buckeye. Buckeye engraving do a bunch. Uh, that's where I normally get my touch marks from. So, um, yeah. Um, anything to add on that, Zach? No, I, I can't add anything to that. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean like the, the few leads in the D battery, we've all, done, uh, I've done that. I say we all, but we've all done that, but yeah, I've done that. <laughs> um, a lot of people who get started in electro etching start with that. I would recommend getting a, like a proper electro etching kit at some point. Like I want one as well. Uh, they're not super expensive. Normally they're like 150, 200 bucks. Um, but they have the ability to like control your voltage and all that kind of stuff. With a D battery, you're kind of just reliant on the the inherent power of the battery, which is never yeah. great. <laughs> and Q-tips, lots of Q-tips. Uh, all right. the, the initial outlay is... is, is uh is a lot but it's worth it. it it does balance itself out so you know as as, as we've said buy what the buy the best you can afford at the time yeah so the next two are from our friend forge Bork, um who says hey sam zach nameless guy standing behind zach menacingly uh <laughs> i have a question for you sam but first, I wanted to point out that you, Sam, regularly barbecue star cancer in a slurry of molten diamond. Shape it to your will like Play-Doh, stick dead trees on the end, then sell them so people can slice their tomatoes, carrots, and fingers. That's badass. Which is a very cool sentiment. Thank you. I don't know why me specifically. Zach does that too. <laughs> uh, and, and Zach, I know who you are now. Also, your twists are nice. Man, you really going in on Zach here. <laughs> All right. Okay. For my question, I'm re-listening to the Forgecast again and taking notes this time. Pretty early on, I'm paraphrasing, you said that you started making hammers specifically so you could have something to use without spending significant money for well-made hammers. This is my plan as well. But now you're a proper hammersmith. You make those high-quality hammers. So that means you should be the ideal person to discuss hammer making in significant detail, not just the how, but the why, and the evolution of that understanding. I loved hearing about those big old cheeks, but man, I'd love to hear or watch you go into detail about how and why you shape your heads the way you do, what separates those early good enough hammers from the ones you sell. I have no doubt that a great deal of the difference is between experience and cleaner forgings, but I'm sure you would enjoy reminiscing a little on the topics of heads, hammer, doggy, maybe a peen. <laughs> Zach and Zach, I, I'm sure you know that I appreciate you somewhat. <laughs> seriously, thank you love, guys. man. Yeah, seriously, thank you guys. I love the podcast. I very much appreciate the wealth of knowledge, Forge Bog. God damn, man. <laughs> just, just letting Zach have it, like one after the other. <laughs> Poor uh, guy. Jeez. I love uh, it. Um, Let it rain down <laughs> on me. <laughs> uh, so, like, yeah, I would I would love to light into like a whole fucking half hour on hammerheads and all that kind of stuff. It would um, be easy. Very easy. And I, I 
I, it's actually probably a good idea for me to do a chalk talk on it. Uh, I think it's actually a really good chalk talk uh, kind of thing. And if I ever do another solo episode, maybe it's also something I'll cover here on the podcast. I don't really want to sit here and have Zach like stare into the middle distance for the next half hour while I discuss hammers and their design. I know a various... bit. <laughs> well, yeah, to, but like when it comes to metallurgy and and you know how the steel reacts to pinging off other steel, no clue. Um, <laughs> But uh, when it when it comes to certain shapes, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out where the mass is going to hit and what it's going to do. But yeah. it is good to dive into those smaller details, the shapes of the faces. Like actually, one thing that I was um, touching on today in in a class was just just simply the shape of the handle, um, hmm. and it's it is one of those things because it's it's a rabbit hole. It's not just a, an easy answer. It's yeah. a yes, but because yeah, so- there's so there's so many different um, avenues that people like to go to. Like uh, I was discussing that some people hate squared off or octagonal or, or any straight facets on a handle at all. Um, yep. Just can't stand them. They always find hot spots in their hand. They, they just don't like swinging them, the feel or anything like that. Um, so they'll always opt for a round handle or a, an oval handle, something like that. But then I, I just sort of held my hand up and I said, look, you can see that it's not quite an, a, a round shape, that sometimes these facets will just work for you. And it's all dependent on feel. Um, as I said, you, a yeah. lot of the things in the craft, you just really can't explain too well um, without lengthy dialogue. But it's a lot of it just comes down to feel. So, yeah, yeah it, it, there's a lot of those sort of aspects that what works for you, like, I prefer the octagonal handles like Sam does. Um, and uh, I don't really preference the round handles unless I have to. Um, and usually that's just because I haven't gotten to them yet with a file or the grinder. <laughs> so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like, that, that's my preference overall. When it, when it comes to, f- to, to like the hammerheads themselves, there are some like right and wrong an- answers for blacksmithing specifically. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason why most people, when they start in blacksmithing, will go with like your, your usual you know, engineer's ball peen or, yeah. or, you know, like a, 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 sled, a destructo sledge or some kind of gimpy. Yeah. And then eventually move into professional blacksmithing hammers. And there's, that's because there are very specific differences in like the, the shape of the faces specifically, but also the usability of the, of the peens, of the, of the back ends. Like on a ball mm-hmm. peen hammer, a ball peen's not really useful in blacksmithing unless you're doing texturing. Yeah. Um, it, or like riveting. It's very, very uncommon that you'll see a ball peen hammer being used for the peen itself. Yeah. Um, and so then it comes to like cross peens and all that kind of stuff. And there are a billion different ways you can do cross peens. Mm-hmm. Um, and like everyone has their own preference. And my preferences have changed over the years, but that would be a discussion of like how and why, and it's just a really long and in-depth topic. And I think that's well, more so you just your workload changes. Like if you've gone from making hammers to then making blades, like I was discussing as well, like your setup and your shop alone would change. So the the various hammers that you'd be using through that process will change to complete another set of hammers. It's it's just the way it goes. Well, yeah, and and as I've expanded into making other things, like this is the other thing is that like as I've expanded into forging all other kinds of things, if I was just forging blades, I'd probably only need like four hammers. Yeah. But because I forge such a wide variety of things and I enjoy practicing all different kinds of forgings, 
I find myself in positions where I need a different hammer. And at this point, I feel like I need about 20 different hammers <laughs> just to have all of the options that, that I need um, for, for what I'm doing. Like sometimes I need a very thin, very narrow pin, and sometimes I really need a, a nice wide one. Uh, sometimes I want one with a quite an aggressive radius and sometimes I want one with a slightly lighter radius. It's, it really does de- change depending on the task that I'm trying to apply it to. It's like having a multitude of like round fullers, like hand fullers and stuff. Um, I do find that my, the, the hammers kind of vary between that kind of thing. And then the faces themselves, like flat faces themselves aren't all like the one thing that I, if I could say that I took away from my early experiences of blacksmith making hammers is that the flat face on a flat faced hammer is not flat on a blacksmith's hammer. Yeah. If it is, if it is flat, it is wrong. Yeah. Um, like the only, the only flat face on a hammer like object that should be in your forge is on a flatter, mm. right? If, if anything else in like your forge or like a set set hammer, but uh, if your forging hammers have flat faces, they're wrong. I don't care. Like, I don't care how radius your edges are. The, the, the flatness of the face is never going to help you. And this is something I learned very early um, from buying like traditional hammers from like, you know, Bunnings and stuff like that was that the, f- the hammer faces are perfectly flat on those. Yeah. And no matter how you crown the edge, it's always going to cause a problem. So all of my hammers have very light pillow to their face. They're very, very slightly kind of domed, um, in, in all dimensions. Mm. Uh, you, you can't really see it from a distance. Like you, you have to actually look at it up close to see it. But um, it, it's the only thing that it, like is super important to me in blacksmithing hammers, and it's something that I recommend people do, even if you've got just the engineer's ball peen. Take a flap disc on an angle grinder and just stick the ball peen on a vise, and then just lightly dome that thing out before you crown the edges off. Which you want crowned edges, but you know, again, you need that Not slight quite dome as aggressive. To it. Yeah, because like, the the myth is that a flat flat anvil and a flat hammer will create a flat surface in your work and that's just completely untrue um the majority of the time in order to create a flat and straight piece you actually need a domed surface and another domed surface (laughs) um to meet in the middle so yeah um that would be my like one biggest takeaway one of the biggest learning moments for me as a blacksmith uh making hammers was my early blacksmithing hammers all had flat faces with crowned edges and I couldn't understand why they weren't hitting properly. And then I made that one small change, and suddenly I was like, "Yes, now I've cracked the ca- the code." <laughs> and there are a million other problems. Like, there are a million other problems that suffer. You, you suffer when you're making hammers for the first time. But I think it's again something that I we need to go into on another, like it, when I have more time. <laughs> well, uh, like just just uh, punching and drifting the whole uh, the, the eye for it is is a task in itself. Oh man, and yeah, and then like, the direction of that too. <laughs> yeah, just just like there are so many different topics you can go into in hammers. Like hammers alone are a massive topic. Hmm. Uh, maybe yeah, thanks that's, for the question. Uh, something that we can dive into on the show in uh, in segments. Maybe we could sure. bring up a specific hammer and go over just those those details on that one hammer. Oh yeah, happily. Um, if you guys would like to hear that, let us know. Uh, email yeah. us and uh, yeah, email us and let us know which uh, first hammer we should go over. Yeah, or comment on the Instagram. Either way. Yeah, yeah. Let us know. Um. So the next one is from Forgebok as well. 
and it says, Sam, Zach. Morning, gents. Zach seems to be the sort of joker that my own old man humor resonates with. So while I never set out to do so, flicking flack at Zach's a knack, though I feel no need to atone. (laughs) 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 Trying to make me rhyme here. Just trying to trip me up. Love it. (laughs) He's like, uh, he says, I've been sitting on that one the entire time I've been rolling home. (laughs) Uh, All right. Okay. In an attempt to be less serious. Jesus. Would you talk about spring tempers? In Forgecast 27, mention was made of an apocalyptic apocalyptic spoon made of spring steel and tempered to a proper spring temper. In a challenge, we were challenged to make a spring. I've heard lots of discussions regarding heat treat and temper, but what makes a spring temper different? Thank you, Sam, for going to detail about your hammers, though the episode hasn't aired by the time I'm sending this. <laughs> Still hasn't aired. Um, I appreciate when you go into detail and especially interesting tangents. Thank you for that. And Zach, because I know the trick is consistency, your twists are nice. Thanks, fellas. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> I do appreciate it. It's great. Um, okay, so. Yeah, great. Um, so forge spring tempers, spring tempers, very interesting. Um, it's it's Off both go, as yeah, it, it's both as simple as you think, and as and more complex, right? So, like a spring temper, quote unquote, is simply a tempering, like a, a tempering temperature heat specifically that gets your steel to a point where its elasticity and toughness are at the same level. Right, so like normally when we're tempering a knife, for, for instance, we are tempering to a very light straw color. We're normally going to about 180 degrees, 200 degrees Celsius, uh, and that is for maximum edge retention, maximum hardness for toughness. So we're trying to get it so hard that it's going to hold an edge really well, whilst giving it enough toughness that it's not going to shatter the moment we try and cut something. For a spring, we don't need it to hold an edge like the springs don't need to hold an edge what they need to do is deform and then spring back to their original state repeatedly uh and so therefore we're trying to like increase the amount of durability and the amount of elasticity in the martin side um so in order to do that we need to just temper it back further but that's not the only thing that like uh, the the only problem with calling it a spring temper is if you take something like W two or W one or uh, a really really high carbon steel or like fifty two one hundred, and then quote unquote spring temper it, you still don't have a spring because it is not a spring steel. It is not a steel that is designed to have that kind of elasticity, that kind of deductility. It is just a spring tempered piece of tool steel. <laughs> Will it be slightly springier than if you temper it higher? Yes. But will it function well as a spring? No. Um, And this is why we use specific steels for springs. This is why, you know, most coil springs are some form of, you know, SUP9, 5160, whatever you want to call it. And that's because... SUP9. Yeah. And that's because they're all a medium chromium, medium carbon alloy that is relatively hard enough that it you know retains its shape but it's not hard, so hard that it shatters easily um and so therefore like yes call, making something a spring like making a spring you want to use something that is a spring steel um rather than just relying on the spring temper itself 
Um, that being said, you can make springs out of mild steel. They yeah. have enough elasticity in them that in the right uh, cross sections and in the right like diameter of spring, you can make a mild steel spring. They, they work just as well. Most um, uh, post vices, their, their springs are normally mild steel or wrought iron. Um, but because of the cross sections, they have enough elasticity in them to actually deform and return true. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, example um, of that as well as like a set of barbecue tongs where that middle section is just drawn out very thin and then wrapped yeah, around. Hundred percent, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, like anyone who like if you've got your normal forge tongs filed, forged out of mild steel and you grip on something and you really grip down on it, the the reins will close together but mm. then spring back apart and that's just the natural elasticity of the the mild steel um for spring tempers on their own normally with 5160 or sub9 or any of those you're normally tempering to around 550 600 degrees celsius quite high um you're getting into that blue range we're, we're trying to go into the the deep blue um and that is basically you're getting really really close to blue brittle which is just past the gray which is getting towards critical temperature but your that is going to be at the lowest hardness for martensite but also the highest elasticity so that's that's what you're aiming for realistically most of the time when we're doing spring tempers in the forge and stuff we're just going by color so you know we'll, we'll just take it to that nice peacock blue and we'll be good <laughs> so uh yeah i hope that answers your question um yeah, I don't think there was anything else there. Just about the hammers and giving Zach shit. Cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right. So, I next one has come from Garrett Navarrete. And Garrett says, Hello, I have two more questions for you guys. First, can you use muriatic or hydrochloric acid uh, to clean up steel before forge welding? I was watching a video where someone didn't get Damascus fully stuck together, and he mentioned it's possible to use muriatic acid to eat away the forge scale before forge welding again. Does this really work? Is there anything you need to be aware of? Second, does canister Damascus need to be square? Could a round tube be used instead? I know it would be more difficult to forge weld, but I had some ideas for Damascus that would require making round Damascus. Thank you for so much for your help, Garrett. Two great questions. Love that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, no, I love, I love those. Um, (laughs) so, um, muriatic acid, which is hydrochloric acid for us in the West or in Australia, (laughs) in the West, he's in in America. (laughs) Never mind. Um, can you use it to clean Damascus before you forge weld? Yes, but it's like the soup. It's like Zach's soup. Basically, muriatic acid or hydrochloric acid or vinegar is all just an acidic reaction with scale. Um, And what that does is it converts that scale into its various oxides and chlorides in solution and leaves you with a clean surface. But that clean surface is not pit-free. It's not like, you know, it's it's not suddenly flat. Um... (laughs) (laughs) so like while yes it will help with prepper prepping surfaces especially if it's like really rusty steel um then yeah giving it a a vinegar bath for for overnight or you know a dip in hydrochloric for you know half an hour 
will clean that off, you're still going to need to grind the surface flat in order to guarantee better surface uh, welds. Um, Zach can also probably speak to the experiences of what happens after you pull it out of the acid. It's not exactly clean. Oh, no. No, it's uh, depending on how old your soup is, um, you can have uh, like a bit of a sludge on it. Uh, I know for a fact that the bottom of my soup tub is probably about near on two inch thick of just residue oxide that's come off the stuff that I soak in there. And it's just sediment at the bottom. Um, so it, it, as, uh, as it's a reaction, it's got to go somewhere. Um, so with, with the soup as well, a drawback is that steel is, is sort of like a sponge on a very small microscopic level. So the longer you leave it in a solution as well, will, I guess what you're really looking for is that the, the soup will, or, or, or the muriatic acid will give you an opportunity for it to forge better. It's mm. not going to guarantee anything much like the process itself. Um, it's just increasing your chances as Alex would say. Um, so the, it's like mild steel or anything. You you could get it hot enough where you could just van der Steeg it together with no flux, no nothing, you know, mill scale and all. Um, but what the removing the mill scale, uh, or any of the scale on there, uh, to start with is why they grind it or you can soak it soaking. It's just going to save you money in abrasives but cost you more time um but when you take it out of the soup you're still going to need to clean it uh neutralize the soup if that's the case with either a, a bicarb uh, sorry baking soda uh or even just uh if it's muriatic acid it's just just diluting it down with rinsing it with water and soapy water but that can leave pitting it can leave a slimy scale on it as well so you're still probably going to want to run it over a slight pass on the grinder anyway yeah, I, I, you hit the nail on the head. Like, I, I think at the end of the day, unless it was like seriously mill scaled up or like mm. scaled up in some like way, really, really old stuff you've left yeah, outside or, rusty. Or, or, or scraps. Yeah, in which case, yeah, give it a dunk in the the vinegar and then go straight to your belt grinder afterwards mm. and and uh, and clean it up like you normally would. And that's just mm. gonna, as you said, save on abrasives. Like that's the biggest one because yeah. scale and and rust and stuff like that's brutal on belts. It is even the um, best ones. Yeah, but so like that would be the only reason I would use it. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't like. The other thing is, of course, that as you said, steel surfaces much like a sponge after you take yeah. it out of an acid. And the reason that that's a really big problem is that it almost instantaneously starts oxidizing. Yeah. Like if you leave, if you watch Zach's stories and stuff when he takes stuff out of the soup and he's got it sitting on the bench on top uh-huh. after he's hosed it down and it's just coated in rust. Yeah. Like almost instantaneously, and that's why he goes from the soup to the wire wheel. Um, is because that that wire wheel actually kind of uh, burnishes over all of those little pits that are created by the acid because uh-huh. those pits capture moisture and then create rust. That's right. um, so that's something else is that your if you just took them out of the acid and threw them together in a billet and started welding, you'd end up with a whole bunch of rust in there before you even got to the weld. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, 
another was... another tip as well is that when once you do get your pieces cleaned up and then stacked and welded together uh, is to keep the air out of it from that point as well so you can't from that or you can but you could soak it in vinegar but then or, or the your acid but then again that's going to be all in between the layers and you're not going to be able to get in there and clean it so kerosene is often used for that once you've got your stacked billet together and you're ready to go into the forge or you're not ready to go in the forge but it's ready it's soak the whole lot of it in a bucket of kerosene um before yep. you're ready to go into it um of course keep in mind the hazards of when you take it out give it a good shake and that before you put it into your forge watch Don't. your eyebrows of course <laughs> for the love of god and i've seen this a few too many times now like i'm i'm literally terrified there are so many people that are keeping their bucket of kerosene next to their forge yes <laughs> and like the the thing is is that like, I understand you're taking it from the, the bucket and you're going into the forge. It's not like, you know, the thing is I've had experiences where I've had like stuff dipped in kerosene or oil or something like that, where the oil is lit on fire and the drips have mm -hmm. lit on fire and continue to drip while on fire. Mm -hmm. All it takes is one of those to hit that bucket of kerosene and you have a flaming barrel of kerosene. Mm -hmm. And those things are a pain in the ass to put out. And I know this because I almost burned down a giant shed because I was using a pot of gasoline to clean uh, bearings. And one day I had to harden a punch that I was using to punch bearings out. And while I was doing it, I used the torch and I quenched the, the, uh, the punch in some water and I wasn't looking where the torch head went. And I just touched it to the pot of gasoline and suddenly, woof, and I had this fucking eight foot tall pillar of flame in the middle of this wood frame shed. It was terrifying. <laughs> I totally thought you were going to say you quenched it in the gasoline. No, it wasn't that stupid. <laughs> that would have been interesting. But yeah, I think no, it's like, <laughs> no, no, but, um, but that's the thing. Like it, all it takes is that one little mistake. So please. You know, use the kerosene. It's great, uh, especially if you use it to stick some borax on it when you're putting it in the forge for the first time so that you immediately have flux even before it starts heating up. That's great. But keep the kerosene away from your forge. <laughs> it doesn't Safety need first. to be that close. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the other thing I was going to mention is uh, with muriatic acid, hydrochloric acid. Um, I have had some really bad experiences, especially with really rusty material. Do not stick your face over that when you stick it in. Like with, with vinegar, the reason I use vinegar is because even though it takes 24 hours as opposed to 30 minutes, uh, it, it's not risky to my health. Uh -huh. Whereas um, I once stuck a piece of rusty steel in a vat, uh, like in a, in a tub of muric, uh, hydrochloric acid, and the fumes from that literally scarred the inside of my lungs. Because what Nasty it does stuff. is it, it has a very exothermic reaction, so it creates a lot of heat. Mm -hmm. And that heat vaporizes the uh, the hydrochloric acid into a steam that you can then breathe in, and that will burn the crap out of everything inside you. Um, so yeah, be very careful. I would prefer using vinegar because even though it's slower, it's safer, yeah. um, and I don't have to worry about accidentally forgetting the piece in there and it vanishing <laughs> into the acid, which has happened way too many times with ferric chloride. Yeah, or putting um, it into the wrong container. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, yeah, PVC is usually safe. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like you can do it, but yeah. Uh, your second question. Uh, we, we only covered the first question. Um, the second question: Does canister Damascus have to be square? 
No, but. <laughs> I have um, no so... idea, so I cannot answer. I can only think of how the process of what I think it happens. <laughs> yeah, so, like, we all know, like, we all know the basics of how canister Damascus works. Um, you fill a canister full of material, you mm-hmm. get it up to stupidly pass welding temperature, and then you squish it together in a way to like forge weld the material inside. The reason that we use square um, is because you can use something like a squaring die that forces on it from four sides to get complete cohesion of the material. Mm. Uh, rather than like having a rectangle where you can only really forge on it from one side, in which case the bits on the sides don't necessarily touch each other, and that's why you get a lot of crumbly edges on those kinds of billets. Like uh, Steve from Green Battle's done it a couple of times where he's done canoe canisters, and they're more rectangular. And the problem he's found is that he ended up with lots of really crumbly edges because those edges were incapable of being compressed at any time. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, you could make it out of uh, round, but the problem is then trying to force, you know, put force on that entire circumference. Um, and, you know, most most presses, like, even if you were using, like, a squaring die that was larger than your circle, it's still not going to completely force on all, like, because it's an entire perimeter rather than four sides. Mm. If you wanted to make... Like, octagonal. Well, that's it. Yeah, like you'd be basically creating an octagon and then having to basically forge an octagon. Mm. At which point, you may as well have just made square canister Damascus and then rounded out like and you then would. Rounded out. Yeah, like realistically, if I was going to make canister Damascus and I knew I needed round stock at the end, I would just forge it square and then round it out. And this is this is what we do in in all things when we're making a point on a bar. We don't like. If even if we've got round stock, we don't start forging the point round. We forge the point square, then we round it out. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because we can normally only apply force in two directions. And at the very most, we can apply force in four directions. But a circle is, you know, multiple hundreds of thousands of directions all in one. Um, yeah. So yeah, like that. That would be my advice: forge it square first, and then round it out afterwards uh, after you've taken the canister off. Um, because then you've basically just got a bar and you can do whatever you want with it. Mm. <clears throat> Hopefully that helps. Um, if you do choose to give the circular Damascus a try, I'd be really interested to see what your results are. Cause you know, like I'm always willing to be proven wrong. Um, I'd just love to see the pattern you get out of something like that. Yeah. If it, if it, well, if it got pulled off, I reckon I, I can just sort of picture if it was, even if it was slightly flattened on each side, but mm. still relatively round. Um, I kind of picture like this spiral corkscrew going through the middle as it's being like turned to keep yeah, yeah. round as you're forging it out. But uh, again, who knows? I've never yeah. seen anything like that. So I think I guess like, that the could other be thing, a first. <laughs> the other thing that came to mind is that it'll be harder to weld proof it. Like, you know, in normal canister Damascus, you normally coat the, the sides oh, with, with the something. Ends. Yeah. Yeah. Like you normally coat the sides with like uh, either like white out or um, most guys these days are using burned stainless steel foil to prevent mm-hmm. forge welding. Um, that would be a lot harder to do if you're trying to do it in a tube. Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, you could make a tube of, of stainless steel foil, but it's going to be really hard to get it to fit to the sides which is going to cause air pockets and stuff. And it's just going to be a lot more of a pain in the butt mm. um, than doing it square. So 
yeah, I mean, again, give it a shot. If With you, enough time. Yeah, <laughs> enough time and enough energy, anything can be done. That's it, um, yeah. Actually, if anything, forge welding, the round stuff would be easier by hand than by machine. Like in most cases, we're like using machines. Yeah, a swage block and you're just, just rotating it as you hit it. Mm. Like tap, 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 and just trying to go as fast as you possibly can <laughs> uh, before you lose heat. But yeah, I mean, give it a shot and let us know how you go. I, I'd be really keen to see it. Either way, awesome. like even whatever you choose to do. Yeah. Well, thanks, Garrett. Cheers, man. Uh, and we're coming. That's that's actually the, the end of them. I thought we had more. Yeah. <laughs> may Turns have, out may that we're getting through a couple already with Rob. <laughs> Yeah, um, we're also getting a whole bunch of ads sent to the friggin' Forgecast email, which is really annoying. Um. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no. We're trying uh, to contact you about your extended warranty. Oh, yeah. Like, so, <laughs> uh, apparently, we've been signed up for like six different things. I love it because the Forgecast is basically an inactive email. <laughs> Someone's used us. Only for you for listeners. The- for their like hello fresh you know account but um we've we've almost come up on the hour anyway um yeah yeah it's been a good episode and i i I love answering these kinds of questions because we get some really great insight into what our listeners are actually looking for uh, well that's it like um we we could definitely do a, a hammer segment um that uh, we could touch on and just bring up a, a hammer each each week or every, every couple of weeks and uh, go over just various aspects, you know, what they could be made of, um, yeah. like even like the rawhide and copper hammers. We've got heaps to go through, so and they all have different uses. So, yeah, that's something that we could look into for sure. So let us know which ones you'd like us to um, to dive into first and and we'll, uh, we'll do the job. Absolutely. We'll take the case. But if you want to send us questions or uh, you know any feedback you like, you can send it to ask.forgecast at gmail.com. We always appreciate hearing from you guys. And uh, obviously, we get to have episodes like this where we answer questions on the show. So yeah. give it a shot. Uh, if you want to find us on Instagram or Facebook, you can find us at the.forgecast uh, on Instagram and the Forgecast on Facebook. If they want to find you, Zach, where can they find you? They can find me uh, as Laughing Fish Forge on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. I've also started a Kofi account or Coffee account, whatever it is, um, to help support just what I do. Um, if you don't want to buy any of my physical items, but you'd like to help support what I do anyway, so head on over there and you can make a donation or tip or something like that. And also, um, which is really, really great because I'm glad that I got the emails at the same time, but uh, old mate Forgebook uh, would be my first Patreon. Uh, so <laughs> cheers, man. This is your shout out. <laughs> Thanks for the support. And, and uh, I love the banter. So yeah, yeah. all up for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he joined both of us at the same time because uh, he, ah, he joined excellent. over on mine as well. We, we love the support. We do. And the banter. We do. All about the community. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you guys know where to find me. We'll see you there soon. How about you, Sam? Where, they can, where can they find you? Well, you can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Etsy, Patreon. Yeah, you know, the underscore kitchen underscore sink on TikTok, where I occasionally post. Um, <laughs> no, it's just for you finding yeah. music, Sam. That's that's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all I do all day is just find music for the Forgecast. Um, anyway, with that being said, I hope you guys have a fantastic week. Bye.
Um, Sorry for a bit of a shorter episode this time, but uh, hopefully next week we'll have something awesome. Well, that's it. Yeah, it'll be Christmas. So we'll see you soon, guys. Take care. Be safe. Bye-bye.